So, let's, uh, let's thank the Lord. Dear Lord, we're very grateful for well, the technology you give us. Keep us from being spoiled by it. Keep us from being discommoded by it. Um, we have great advantages with it, and we'd ask that you would give us real com uh, comfort with the futility of it. Thank you also uh, for the people that we're sitting in before the Word today with around the country. And bless the time in your Word, in your Son's name. Amen. Okay. Uh, if I look like to the people around uh, that I'm talking into this, it's because it, it's sort of demanding. There it is. I could just turn it away. Then I wouldn't feel it. Turn it back. Yikes. Oops. We're all going to die. Okay. We are in John. Um, generally, John 15. It's, it's during the passion narrative in John. And I was reading through um, this section because certain verses have been on my mind. Um, uh, a servant is not greater than his master. I had come up in a few conversations I had been in. And, uh, and it's a, such a rich portion. The, you, the whole length of this section of John where Christ is uh, teaching his disciples the last bit at the last supper. He pray, prays for his disciples, the high priestly prayer. All of it going into the, the, the crucifixion narrative that John is centered on because he is very close to Christ. So I know that there's a boatload of things that we're not talking about this morning. But I wanted to talk about one key affirmation in this section. Um, in John 14, at the very top of the right-hand side of the sermon notes, it says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. So in the admonition to keep the Lord's commandments, he promises them aid and comfort in this, that they would be guided by the Holy Spirit of God that he was going to send to them. We know that from this whole section, a, a counselor, a comforter coming. That's what we're sort of looking at. We're looking at uh, um, what that role is for us and why, what Christ's reasoning is. Um, in verse 24, this is also chapter 14, He who does not love me does not keep my words, and the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. That was a difference of about eight, nine verses between them. One began with, if you love me, keep my commandments. He who does not love me does not keep my words. That it both resolves into, you know, there's going to be help for you in this. He will teach you all things, the counselor. He will bring to remembrance everything that has been said to you. 
So at the same time that we're given this huge obligation of righteousness, the work of the living of uh, the living the living of the Christian life that so many people think that they are incapable of getting at keeping the commandments of our Lord is something that we all strive or want to be and do not keeping them is something we know is disapproved of and we know that the Holy Spirit here and our acquaintance with it it says the world doesn't know him or see him well we don't see him either because it's a spirit But we know him, and so this idea of knowledge by acquaintance is important to uh, the Apostle John. Now, this is where we say, if my knowledge of the Holy Spirit is by an acquaintance, and my knowledge of the Holy Spirit, my gain from the Holy Spirit is to guide me to the complete righteous life in Christ, That's what I've got to say, this is what the acquaintance is for. It's not to feel spiritual. It's not to, that might be a side effect of it. It's not to make claims of spirituality. It's to affect your life to keep his commandments, not to fail to keep his commandments. To listen to Christ. Not be someone who's always a stickler about the things the Lord says. I don't know, I don't know if that applies today. Now, this is, I, I, I had those as just prefaces. That you have this promise in the high priestly section of John where he's promising the Holy Spirit for the benefit of the Christian life. And then in John 15, verse 17, this I command you to love one another. I, I left that in. I, I could have started at 18 because that's where our new paragraph kind of begins. But this I command you to love one another if you go back to John 14, 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Verse 24, he who does not love me does not keep my words. His word is, love one another. That's his commandment. This is the new commandment for the Christians. There's, everything else is old school ethics. Love the Lord your God, love your neighbor as yourself. This is love the brethren. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. And because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Did we respond to Frank's request for PDF notes? Did I? They're on the church website under services. Frank? Hi, good morning. We've got a circumstance in this world that there's going to be an interesting thing said about the effect of the Lord's ministry. Now, in most cases, uh, we look at sin as a kind of a simple equation of little Johnny realizes he's selfish, um, and little Johnny expresses that selfishness, and if the parents don't discipline little Johnny, Johnny throws fits in Walmart. If he, they do discipline little Johnny, Johnny waits until he's older to throw fits in college or 
do something manifestly wicked but little less socially unacceptable. We can stop when and the nature of the sin with good citizenship discipline. But the world is going to sin. We think of that as, okay, you all have urges. We're tempted when we're lured and enticed by our own desires. And so when we... When we sin, we just are following that temptation to a desire. Now, there's something in this passage here at 15 that adds to that, that I want you to be thinking about. Remember the word, verse 20, Remember the word that I said to you, A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. So one, though you be on your side, they'll be against you. If they were for me, they'll be for you. If they are against me, they're against you. But all this they will do on my account, because they do not know him who sent me. Like you said back in there, they do not know or see the Spirit. They don't know what he represents. You know, they do not. They are left outside of a loop. Now, when that loop is... uh, closed by the coming of the Christ. They do not know him who sent me. If I had not come, this is in red because I could do that. Verse 22, if I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have sin. That is, but now they have no excuse for their sin. There is something, you you have regular sinfulness, you want to punch your little sister, you had an urge. You want to lie to your parents, you had an urge. You didn't want to get into trouble, you stole that bar of, you know, whatever bar you would steal, payday, from the Walgreens, got away with it, you still can't forget it, but yeah, that's kind of your sinfulness. But there's some other level of sinful. Think all these people were sinful. People were comparing their choices to kind of what they knew was an ethical conscience backdrop of their sinfulness. Something else has come. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have sinned. But now they have no excuse for their sin. There's something that steps forward in the Incarnation. He who hates me, verse 23, hates my father also. There is a level which just little Johnny lying to his mom about where he got that candy bar (coughs) this says all sin at its biggest form. This is where the sinfulness of man, and it comes from little Johnny stealing the bar from Walgreens and then lying to his mother about where he got it. This is the, that is the implementation of the style of life. That when the Christ comes and represents himself, <coughs> they sin in a big way. They turn against him. They have no excuse for their sin. They're looking at the Christ in righteousness, hearing his teaching of righteousness, 
telling them to believe in him and follow him. He says, yeah, follow me. They can't do it. They won't do it. They refuse to do it. Because the big sin that we train our young people in and we train ourselves in is to serve ourselves. We then stop just not just serving ourselves, we start to design the life that we will serve. We, we, um, we want it to really be, you know, for Evan, it needs to be a real Evan life. I mean, a real kind of feature me in a big way, you know. Sure, I don't have to be in every scene, but I'm going to be in a lot of scenes. And, and everybody's going to applaud when I say something. Andrew has got a, um, a things he can do push a button and have a laugh track or a applause go off and uh, you know we'll, we'll wait for the right moment we'll wait for the right moment an eruption of of cheering that's how we are we're, we're about this because that's what we when we stole the candy bar when we lied to mom when we threw the fit we were practicing serving ourselves rather than propriety practicing serving ourselves rather than our mother then we got the idea that, you know, I better write something, a magnum opus, say, a, the great life work called Evan's Life. And Evan's life, working things out for Evan. Well, Jesus shows up and says, no, you're going to work for me. Because you're either going to be a slave of sin, which is working for you, or a slave of righteousness working for me. And it's going to be so obvious to us how righteous he is. Can you imagine? This, I've been in enough discussions over many years in my Christian life of Christians not being able to imagine, wouldn't it be great if Christ came today? Well, Christ came in that day, and they hung him. Even the believing people were really squishy about belief. This is with the Son of God walking around with them, chatting with them, saying the right thing for every comment. The best jokes. The most wise remark. The most riddle-filled righteousness that you were really wanting to pursue. But his righteousness just made our sin more grave. We are reading in a section of that hideous strength this week um, where people was talking about the destruction of the bad guys at the end of the book and people who could not even when faced at the last moment with the choice for eternal joy or hell could not even focus on it because they were so focused on themselves. Where people knowing they're dying can still only focus on what Aunt Betty said to me back in 1943. And I could never forgive her for that. People who cannot let service to their own interest ever bow the knee to Jesus Christ. Even though he had come and demonstrated the righteousness, did magical, miracles things in front of them, which no one else did, 
If I had not done so, done, excuse me, if I had not done among them the works which no one else did, they would not have sinned. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. This is, this is the big tussle. This is not one we talk, we, we don't want little children to steal payday bars from Walgreens. But that's just the proto-sin. This is the sin that when the gospel is preached, people go, no thank you. Eternal joy, forgiveness of sins, because the choice is, do I get to still serve that little bastard who stole the panty bar for the rest of my life, or do I serve a righteous God? So they have to hate God. They have to hate the Father. You, you see that with that old line about an atheist that I don't believe in God and I hate him. Okay, uh, how's that working out for you? He's not there. He's not there to hate. You can have no opinion about it because he's not there. But now they want to insult him at every path they can. They will persecute us because they persecuted our righteous master. Now, this is not because the church is a difficult thing to work into the, you know, the public well-being. Um, there is a, um, <coughs> there is sometimes ways that various groups in history have comported themselves that isn't this way. They got themselves killed by the authorities because they were difficult. We're, if we're going to get ourselves killed, if we're going to move, you might say, to the next level of, of church denial where the, the, the city says, you know, we could use all those properties in town for, you know, beer halls instead of churches. And so why don't you guys just quit being a church? I mean, we're not even going to allow you to be in a church. You can only have two get together and uh, two, and you both have to be married to each other. That's all you can have. They can go after the church to that degree. But we need to have it be for the right reason. Because just like the presence of the Christ in his incarnation made their sin to be sin in, a, in such a way that it was hatred of Christ and the Father. That, that, remember that not only did they not recognize, they got so incensed by this guy, they put together a conspiracy to kill this guy. The most righteous man who ever walked the face of the earth. They hated, verse, it is to fulfill the word that is written in their law. They hated me without cause. That's Psalm 35. They hated me without cause. So we're looking at the, when you say without cause, the actual cause was the opposite of what you'd expect it to be. You probably had little signs of this when you were young, little... You know, somebody who's a little goody-two-shoes, always doing the right thing. <coughs> somebody who's getting the approval of the teachers. And yeah, sometimes they really were up to no good doing it, but, but they're also good, good, good kids. And you couldn't stand them. But when the counselor comes, Remember, the counselor was, is, has been brought to bring us to the righteousness that we have in Christ. We have one relation, we have the only relationship with the counselor. The counselor is not known or seen by the world. 
we have known him. He, will, he dwells with us and he will be in us. He will teach us. But when the Counselor comes, whom I shall send to you from the Father, even the Spirit of Truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness to me. This is the benefit, the nature of the trajectory of this spirit filling. What you're, in a big part, what the promise of it is. The Christ, for being who he was, made sin to be more sin. Made the commitments to self and self-government be absolute. Make it be that I will kill the person who disrupts my path to my service of self. And here we have the counselor filling us in, not with the theology that we get punished for, not because, I mean, Christians killed other Christians for having some, you know, error in theology. It's not that. It's not you believe the wrong thing. This is because they hated him because he was like his father, and they will hate you because you are like your master. And the Holy Spirit is here to make you like your master and to be obedient to your master on two fronts. They don't like you because they didn't like Jesus. And they don't like you because you're doing the things that Jesus wants you to do. And if you do the things Jesus wants you to do, you're not doing the things that Evan wants Evan to do, or whomever you are. Fill in the blank. He bears witness. The Holy Spirit bears witness to Jesus Christ. And you also are witnesses because you have been with me from the beginning, speaking of the disciples, not you guys. I would like to remind people that we have terminology in Christian circles that um, that sort of enter our lives and our way of speaking that we stop when we say, oh, you want to go witnessing Saturday? Go witnessing Saturday. What, what, what did Jesus say? Well, it's accurate. We are witnessing because we have witnessed. We were, the Spirit was bearing witness to Christ, to us. We also are witnesses because you've been with me from the beginning. So to what degree are you witnesses of this righteousness? Has the Holy Spirit come in both to confirm the teaching of our Lord and the, develop your path of obedience, introduce you in knowledge to the, the, the mindset of Christ? Is he the purveyor of greater sinfulness to the world through you, through righteousness? Okay? I want to get to that in a moment because it, it comes back around to that. We call it witnessing because we've experienced it. We have known him. He dwells in us. He will be in you. This is what is supposed to happen. It's not a great thing. I want you to know. But being the kind of person who by character and righteousness makes non-believers feel worse and worse. Not because you're meaner and meaner. But because they know your goodness is in bowing the knee to Jesus Christ. And that question is always in front of them. Do I live for myself or do I bow the knee to Jesus Christ? They just hate him. They hate you. They persecute. 
because they don't like that question. I have said all this to you, verse 1 of chapter 16, to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he's offering service to God. And they will do this because they have not known the Father nor me. Remember the connections that God and Christ, the Father and Christ and the Spirit, are making with each other with you. They haven't known the Spirit. They've not seen the Spirit. You have known the Spirit. You have known the Christ. You have come to know the Father through the Christ. But I have said these things to you, that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told you of them. I did not say these things to you from the beginning, because I was with you. The reason he's telling you now is because you're going to live on the telling. He didn't tell them before because he was standing right there. Okay? Who he was and what he was like was standing right there. But now we're living with not being right there with the Christ, not being able to see the Spirit. We need to be told by the Spirit. We need to be told by the Christ what the point of this is. But now I am going to him who sent me. Yet none of you asks me where you're going. Because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your hearts. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the counselor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, this is kind of the key verse, he will convince the world concerning concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. trying to piece together what the work of the Spirit is for us, teaching us about Christ, to make us more Christ-like in our obedience, to remember the words of Christ, to introduce us in, uh, to his kingdom, his person, his Father. That sort of wraps it up here in verse 8 through 11. He says, when he comes, who convince the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no more. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. Those are a little spacey. You know, a little zen of Christian evangelicalism. What? Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Well, they had rejected the Christ. Christ had come. They, the sinfulness of the, of the people around him was increased, was manifest, was heightened because of their rejection of Christ. The Holy Spirit is coming among you that in you it's going to convince the world. It's not that there was a separate ministry going around the world convincing the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. It has been planted in you that you are the effect of the Holy Spirit of God. You, he dwells in you and will be in you. He's teaching you and bringing you into remembrance all that Christ had taught. We have, are becoming 
you might say, efficient members uh, and uh, advocates of the kingdom of heaven through this Holy Spirit. And these are the things it points to. It will make you a difficult prospect like Christ was. Because they do not believe in him, their sin becomes even greater. So concerning, it convinces the world of its sin. It hates the kingdom of God because of its sin. And that's what's going to happen. That's why it warned you that if it hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. This is the way the world. This is what the Holy Spirit, you know, I'm a big fan of, you know, the gifts of the Holy Spirit. I'd like to see that people would have them. I'd like to pursue prophecy if I had the gift of prophecy. It'd be kind of nice. Or levitation, of course. Or the gift of making other people levitate. That would be fun too. But you know, the Holy Spirit really is announced not so that it would be in the church doing flashy things like speaking in tongues or prophesying or healing or whatever. It was a... Uh, um, to convict the world of sin. And of, and of, and of righteousness. <coughs> That means that the person, if it's convict, convicted of sin, um, it's their sin. If it's convinced of righteousness, it is Christ's righteousness in you. That you have been made not greater than your master, but you better be somewhere on the gradient between awful and Jesus Christ. We assume that the work of the Holy Spirit is to get you to that Christ-like spot. And you say, oh, I'll never be greater than my master. Oh, yeah. But at least point, when you go from Satan to Jesus, point to me at the spot where you currently are. You should be on the gradient. The Holy Spirit is making Christ in you an effective, teaching Christ to you in an effective way. The righteousness of God in Christ. The righteousness that is through love. These are things that are um, given to us by the Spirit filling, you've got to stop and measure because this is what the Holy Spirit is here about. And the last thing, concerning judgment. This is a little odd because the ruler of this world is cast out. Or the ruler of this world is judged. A couple passages from earlier in John. John 12. Now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I'm lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. John 14, I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no power over me, but I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. The ruler of this world, whoever you conceive of him to be, let's just grant for the sake of tradition that it's Satan. The ruler of that world, cast out coming without any victory whatsoever and judged. The Holy Spirit teaches the world of judgment because of that ultimate thing that was accomplished. The, rule, the, the, the ruler of this world was cast out. Christ has come in triumph. The Christian, what I'd like you to consider thinking about, 
is then in the Holy Spirit's relationship to you and the teaching the Holy Spirit gives you, the admonitions it gives you, is making you more Christ-like that you would, one, be the obvious choice between submission to God and submission to self. That people are told about their sin because you're an exemplar of that. And you're an exemplar of what it is to be righteous. Because they don't have the Christ to look at anymore. Because the Christ isn't here, because I go to the Father and you'll see me no more. You are going to be convinced of righteousness. Because I am, uh, because they don't believe in me, you're, it's going to convince them of sin. Your presence is convicting the world of sin. Your presence is convicting the world of righteousness. And your, your state, your, somehow your relationship to the myth, whatever the myth of, of the Christian faith is regarding um, the powers of darkness, is that they are judged at the very top, the great rebellion. This is an issue of triumph. We should be standing in the world regardless. You notice that with the apostles, even in the first century, they get beaten. They go, ha, great. They're, 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 some say, they consider themselves blessed that they were worth suffering for the name. Singing hymns in the jail in Philippi. You saw that probably on Veggie Tales or something. Maybe read it in the Bible. Singing hymns in prison. Absolute, confident contentment with the victory of God. This is not the few Christians, or maybe a few, scrabbling our way across the surface of the planet, trying to patiently endure defeat. Now, we're understanding that we are going to get hurt because our master was hurt, but our master took control of the world. In the cross, when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men to myself. That's our, you know, I think I've told you this before, but I have some friends back east that we'd go out of an evening for cigars and drinks after conferences, and they'd always accuse me. I mean, because I, I was too western for them. You know, they, they were all Virginia and Connecticut and stuff like that. And um, they would accuse me, as if it were something to be ashamed of, of being triumphal. Quit being so triumphal. Christians aren't supposed to be triumphal. We're losers. We're the, we're the little lost sheep. We're the broken. We're the, you know, the ones that God has pulled from the fire. But now, triumphal. The Holy Spirit is here to convict the world, convince the world of judgment. And in that judgment, that the ruler of the world is judged. I have yet many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. The Godhead, God himself, is all this gift ready for you in the Spirit of God. The Spirit will declare what is Christ. Christ has everything of God. He repeats himself. He says, I, that's why I said this. This is, this is what you need to know that 
you have access to all that God has to be known. And just like we talked about not being greater than your master, you better be somewhere along the gradient of pursuit of being like your master. Same is true with where we are in the gradient of knowing our God. We're told that the Holy Spirit can declare all these things to us. Everything that Christ had, Christ has everything the Father had. All of the Godhead. We were, uh, uh, men who are Monday were talking about some of these things uh, running up against certain, you know, difficult, huge things regarding the nature of God. It's good, good time. We've got to get at it. We have it available to us. We might be thinking all along the wrong, you know, axis until you switch something, you know, oh, now it makes sense. But our God in Christ has been made available in our spirit so that we can be something in this world. Not prophetic show-offs, not heal the people of COVID-19, because we can. But we have... We represent Christ in righteousness. We represent Christ in the sinfulness of man. That means we have to watch that we are not following our design of life and calling it Jesus' design of life. What does Jesus want you to be like? What does Jesus want you to do? Is it a hard thing to follow him when you really kind of want to do what you want to do? Well, that's it for the end of the passage, the end of the notes. Let's thank him. Dear Lord God, we're very grateful that your Son showed us the path, that your Spirit in us renews that in us daily, that we would be something for the world regarding our sin, that we would be something for the world regarding our view of righteousness, and that the triumph of your kingdom would be evident in the judgment of this world, in the judgment of the ruler of this world. Help us draw closer to the mind that we can have in your spirit. And in his name, in your son's name, and in your name we pray. Amen.